All right. Well, good morning again. I'm so thankful, so glad to be here this morning. So glad for the opportunity to open the Word and preach the Word today. It's not something I take for granted. It's a blessing and a joy and a treasure uh, to me. Today we're going to continue our series through the letter to the Galatians. We're looking at Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. So go ahead and turn there. Paul has been laying out the truth that is found only in the gospel, that we're saved by grace through faith alone. It's what we just sang, not by works, but through faith. So any effort to obey the Mosaic law as a means of seeking salvation is fruitless, it's empty. It's contrary to the gospel. The law, Paul has stated, was intended to be in place only until Christ came. We saw two weeks ago how it was functioning sort of as a guardian or a babysitter until the promise of righteousness by faith in Christ arrived. Believers in Jesus are no longer under the law. There's a glorious reason why. We are now God's sons, united with Christ by faith. And so as we come to Galatians 4 this morning, verses 1 through 7, those verses restate the content from Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 29, from a different perspective. The main thing that we see in the text today is the truth that believers are no longer enslaved under the elements of the world, but have been freed by Christ. So let's look at the text together and work through it. If you're able to stand, go ahead and stand and follow along as I read verses 1 through 7 of Galatians chapter 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you for your word, for the truth of the gospel that we learn through your word, and we praise you for Jesus. We ask for your help this morning, that we be people who embrace the truth of the gospel, that we wouldn't be led astray by our own agenda or our own desires to prove our abilities to you in some way, Lord, but that we would surrender to the work of Christ, trust in you completely, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Verses 1 and 2, Paul is giving an illustration to help these Galatians and to help us understand what he's teaching them. He says there, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though 
He's the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. A child who is destined to inherit an estate, Paul's saying is no different than a slave as long as he is still a child. Why? What does Paul mean by that? Because the child cannot inherit the estate until he becomes an adult. And so during that period of time, he's subject to the guardians and managers, but only until the father's set time of inheritance comes. Now, there's a, there's a wonderful picture in what Paul is writing here, and it's a picture of Exodus. This letter to the Galatians has several high points throughout the entire letter. And these verses we're looking at today are certainly one of the high moments in the letter. It's a story of Exodus. Paul is writing, giving this illustration about people enslaved. And then he says that there comes a time that has been promised and waited, hoped, or longed for. When those who are enslaved are delivered in an act of redemption. And as a result of this, the people are free and declared to be sons of God, the living God, who comes to dwell within them as they journey and head toward their final inheritance. Now, that, that sounds very familiar. It sounds like the exodus of Israel, but Paul is describing these Galatians and us if we are in Christ. That's our story. Continues in verse 3, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. We were enslaved, literally Enslaved to what, though? Paul says we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now, there is, there's a lot of debate about what Paul means when he says elementary principles of the world. And so, is it meaning literally the elements of this world, like the matter, the physical elements of the world that we live on and in? Is it meaning spirits like demons and angels? Well, Paul only uses this term in one other place in this letter to the Galatians. That's Galatians 4 verse 9 that says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Paul's describing there a return to either pagan life with its tribal or national religions or to the Mosaic law regarding special days and months and seasons and years. And so it's likely Paul is referring to the law here in the verses we're looking at today and its negative features, the negative things about the law or those features that have come to an end. And he's saying we, we were enslaved. We were slaved, burdened by those things. But, and this is 
so wonderful. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law. Now, this is the gospel. This is the truth of the gospel that Paul is laying out here. That's what you were, Paul says. But something happened. God did something. A new era has come in salvation history with the arrival of God's own Son. When the fullness of time had come, Paul says, at just the right time in history, Jesus, the Messiah, comes to the earth. God sent forth His Son. David Platt writes here that God, in His sovereignty, was designing all of history for this moment in time. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. And we learn things about Him. We learn things about the Son, Jesus, and His coming in these verses. First, we learn that Jesus was fully divine. The Father sent forth His Son. His Son who existed for all time sends forth His Son to the earth because only God can bear the infinite wrath of God. The fact that it says God sent assumes pre-existence. He sent one who already was who has been. And so Jesus comes fully divine. He is God who has come to earth. His name shall be called Emmanuel. God with us. The next thing we learn here is that Jesus is fully and truly human. He's literally born of a woman. He was made man. God sent forth His Son to this earth, fully divine and fully human. As a human, the Son could identify with us and be sacrificed for us or in our place as a representative of us. And then lastly, in this verse, we learn that the Son was fully righteous. It says He was born under the law, and yet He never, ever failed. Born under the same law that Paul has just written that we were enslaved to. And yet He was a holy, innocent, righteous, worthy sacrifice for our sins, for our enslavement. 
The Nicene Creed writes this of the Son in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. Now we don't see all of that in verse 4, obviously, but it describes the Son that the Father sent to us and for us. Verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Again, we continue with the goodness of the gospel here in this verse. God sent forth His Son to redeem. God determined to redeem us. God determined to redeem you. God determined to redeem me. He came to redeem those under the law. God sent forth His Son, and this Son lived under the law, yet He never sinned so that he could absorb the curse of the law, and propitiate the wrath of God and redeem those under the law. And once the Son had done this, the barrier is knocked down between God and people. And they become, Paul says here, sons of God. Sons of God. Remember what Paul wrote in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It's a glorious truth. And then what does he say here in verse 5? So that we might receive adoption as sons. He did that so that he might adopt us as sons. I want you to imagine for a moment the Exodus scene in the book of Exodus. All of those Israelites enslaved in Egypt, hurting, broken, sinful, abused, filthy. Paul's saying that was us. Enslaved just as those Israelites were enslaved, just as hurt, just as broken, just as sinful, just as abused, just as filthy, just as unlovable. Paul says, God sent forth his son to adopt us. 
Do you imagine that Exodus scene and someone walking into the midst of those people and saying, you're coming home with me. And everything that is mine is now yours. And you are free. You don't, you don't need to live under the burden of this slavery any longer. You're free. That's the gospel. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, wrote that adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. The doctrine of justification makes us right before God the Father, but in the doctrine of adoption, we are loved by God the Father. In adoption, the judge not only declares you not guilty, but he also gets up off the bench, comes down to, the, to where you are, takes off your chains, and he says to you, come home with me as my son. Again, as I mentioned last week, sons is purposeful here. It's not exclusive, it's inclusive. Inheritance in Paul's day was reserved for sons. So Paul's saying, you're all getting this inheritance. Women, men, children, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, will be sons and will receive the full inheritance. Jesus has rescued us from this present evil age, but there's so much more to the gospel. God the Father has come to us through Christ and said to us, come home. You're mine now. Redeemed from slavery to sin, adopted as God's son. In verses 6 and 7, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Imagine the freedom hearing this in Galatia, when you're being taught by these rival teachers, no, 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 you need to be burdened by these things, you need to live under the enslavement of these laws, or else you cannot be a part of the family of God, and Paul says that is not the gospel, you are free. Being a son of God means having God's spirit, which Paul tells us in Galatians 3.14 is the promise of Abraham. Now think about this here. This is exactly what the rival teachers want too. They want this promise. That's what they believe they're living for. And that's heartbreaking because they're looking for it apart from Christ. God shows us that the only way to receive it is through faith in His Son. Redemption, adoption, and the promise of the Holy Spirit come through faith faith in Jesus. 
The Spirit does something, Paul says. It enables the sons of God to cry out, Abba, Father. Now, Abba is the Aramaic term for Father, and was a special language for Jesus addressing His Father in heaven. In Matthew 6, 19 through 13, when He's teaching us how to pray, He says, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our Father. And in Mark 14, 36, He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for You. Remove this cup from Me, yet not what I will, but what You will. We see Jesus crying out, Abba, Father, and you and I have been given this blessing through redemption. The Spirit works in us to enable us to call the God of the universe Father. Romans 8, 15 and 16, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The proof and evidence that the Galatians are truly God's adopted sons is that God has given them the Holy Spirit and their sonship is expressed by their acclamation that God is their Father. This is such good news. Do you want to know an evidence that you are saved? That you're saved? Your heart cries out, Father. When you think of God, you think, Father. God is the loving and dear Father of those who believe in Jesus. Those who trust in Jesus. And the work that He has done, what He has accomplished for us. The ability to call God Abba, Father, is evidence of being a son of God. That means you're no longer enslaved to the old era. And since you're a son... You have the inheritance. Verse 7, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You are an heir through God if you are in Christ. You have the inheritance. No, it's not fully realized, but it is secure. And most certainly yours. One commentator, Ernest Clark, argued that Paul is effectively offering an implicit medical diagnosis here to these Galatians. Humans in general are morally sick. The rival teachers in Galatia may have been telling the converts 
that in order to get well, to attain to true virtue, they needed to submit to the Mosaic law and have it function as a guardian to bring them health. But Paul says, no, Torah was only holding the illness at bay. God has now done something quite new that has addressed the problem at its root. Redemption. Adoption. Brothers and sisters, I want us to consider this beautiful concept of adoption. That you are adopted by God. Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 5 that in love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of His will. If we truly embrace that, if we believe that, it changes everything. It changes the way we process the world. It changes the way we wake up. It changes the way we live. It changes everything. We are His he is our Father. Russell Moore in his book, Adopted for Life, writes this. Imagine for a moment that you're adopting a child. As you meet with the social worker in the last stage of the process, you're told that this 12-year-old has been in and out of psychotherapy since he was three. He persists in burning things and attempting repeatedly to skin animals alive. He acts out sexually, the social worker says, although she doesn't really fill you in on what that means. She continues with a little family history. This boy's father, grandfather, great-grandfather, and great-great-grandfather all had histories of violence ranging from spousal abuse to serial murder. Each of them ended their own lives. Think for a minute. Would you want this child? If you did adopt him, wouldn't you watch nervously as he played with your other children? Would you watch him nervously as he looks at the knife on the kitchen table? Would you leave the room as he watched a movie on TV with your daughter with the lights out? But what is the point? That is the gospel. You and I are the 12-year-old boy. And God the Father, comes into the room, knowing every single thing about you. Everything about you that said and says to him, I hate you, and I don't want you to be a part of my life. And he looks on you with love, and he says, come home, son. You're mine now, and I love you. God does that through the loving work of Jesus. 
He redeems you. He adopts you out of these circumstances and gives you a new heart. Because Jesus the Son came and identified with your circumstances. He died. His body was broken for you. His blood was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what we remember each and every week as we take the bread and the cup. His body was broken for you. His blood was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And Paul says, everyone who believes, who has faith in this man, Jesus Christ, will be saved, will be adopted, and will be his forevermore. And so as you're dismissed and you come to receive the bread and, and the cup and take it back to your seat, let's, let's consider the work of Jesus. It's only by the work of Jesus that we can and are saved. And so let's remember and rejoice in what he has accomplished for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and thank you for your grace. You are worthy of all praise. We are unworthy of your love, of your grace, of your mercy. And yet you've, as Paul writes to the Ephesians, you've lavished your grace on us. And so we praise you and we thank you and we ask you to help us even now to remember the worth of Jesus who laid down his life for us. That as we take the bread and we take the cup, that we do so remembering with thankfulness in our hearts for who you are and what you have done. That our hearts would cry out to you, Father. We praise you and thank you for these things in Christ's name. Amen.